Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, my Blog Talk Radio peeps. You are listening to Oral Lingus with Timber Dalton on Blog Talk Radio. It is Sunday, November 28th, and are we all suffering from turkey coma if we're in the United States? I think our Canadian neighbors to the north had Thanksgiving a few weeks ago. I don't know about you, but somehow I managed to make the incredible magic stuffing. It seems like I put away one... Uh, bucket full of it, and about three bucketfuls appeared in my fridge today, so I don't know what's going on with that. The bird apparently went from 10 pounds to 30. Uh, one pumpkin pie turned into about five from the looks of it, at least according to my scale. So I don't know how, how you guys fared. Anybody do uh, Black Friday? Because I know my butt's not going anywhere at 4 o'clock on a Friday morning unless I have to go to the doctor or something like that. I I was safe in bed and avoiding the crowds. We tonight are going to be talking about uh, fiction, about our creating realistic characters in fiction. And it's a, uh, oh, there's Michael in the chat room. Oh, yeah, a quick reminder to everybody listening to this in um, archives, downloading this later. We do have a live chat room that shows up during the show, so you're going to hear me uh, go off on little segues as my uh, my chat peeps chime in in the chat room. So if you'd like to you know, catch all the, the fun live, all the craziness of our of our friends. Oh, there's Olga. Hi, Olga. Jillian and AJ and Rita Girl and we got Tower Painter and all sorts of people in the uh, in the chat room tonight. Oops, we lost Michael. Um, yeah, just join in and uh, you can sign on to the, the chat room and, and chime in with your comments and everything. And it's a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun on here. Uh, if you want to call in, the number is 310-861-2348. You can email me at timberdalton, T-Y-M-B-E-R, Dalton, at gmail.com. Um, I bounce back and forth between the chat room and my uh, email box as the show progresses. So uh, sometimes you'll hear me sitting here going, um, 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 as I'm looking at something. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's see, where where did Michael go? Did Michael come back? Did we lose Michael or is he back? Um, people in the chat room who are listening right now, you actually are on a slight time delay. So what you're hearing is actually a little bit um, like it's something like five or seven seconds after what I've already said. So there's going to be a little bit of a of a gap. Um, Jillian says, Olga, call her and ask if her fridge is ready. <laughs> no, and I also don't have uh, Prince Albert in a can either, Jillian, thanks. Uh, okay, guys. Um, topic at hand, let's see here. Oh, we did Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. Uh, characterization. People have, and, and again, I'm not trying to sound like narcissistic when I say this, that I do get a lot of comments from readers saying, oh, I love your characters. You have very realistic characters. And I don't have any kind of um, of special, you know, abilities beyond just basically observing human nature. I think what happens when writers write flat characters or cardboard characters is they rely too much on stereotypes and 
you know, it's fine if you, you fill out these detailed character sheets that some places recommend writers do, that you write everything, what's their favorite color, what is this, what is that. Well, that's fine. But it doesn't help you if how would he react if his girlfriend is in danger. You know, is he scared of water and she's drowning and he's, you know, maybe knows how to swim, but he's terrified of getting into the water because of something that happened to him. So, you know, you gotta you got to know things that are applicable to the story that you're writing. Um, you know, and, and you have these little cardboard characters that are pretty predictable. And I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons why stories will fall flat. Characters, bad plot, you know, obviously bad writing, but you can have the world's, you know, greatest, most grammatically correct writing and still have a crappy story or a boring story or a predictable story. And and I've even been criticized a few times. Fortunately, most of, of the comments I get are positive. But I've been criticized a few times. Oh, well, you know, why did you have your character do that? That was that was just too realistic. Well, I write the kind of stories that I like to read. And as a writer, yes, you have to write stories that, you know, are going to appeal to a reader. But you are the first reader. And I always tell newbie writers this, that you have to write a story that you would enjoy reading. Because if you're not going to enjoy reading it, nobody else is going to like it. The other rule that I always emphasize to newbie writers is you will not please everybody, period, full stop. You will never write a story that everybody's going to like. It just won't happen. And you're going to get people who are going to go, oh, that was the worst character I saw in there. They did this and that and the other, da, 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 da. That was horrible. I hated it. Well, that's fine. You're going to get that no matter what regardless of if it's a valid critique or if it's just somebody that's jealous or, or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but you have to stay true to your character. And that's another thing that I think people do. People will sometimes I, – I am a what is called a pantser. People are plotters or pantsers. Um, by that I mean pantsers, they plot by the seat of their pants. They basically go with the story. Uh, let's see, what one are you looking for? <laughs> uh, what are you guys doing in the chat room? Um, oh, thanks, Olga. Oh, Bart. Oh, yeah, the, <laughs> that's we'll get, we're gonna get to animals as characters too. Um, we, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting distracted by my chat room peeps. Um, you know, there's. Uh, I got distracted by the chat room peeps. Let me get back on topic here. What was I talking about? Um, you know, there, you got to write a story that you're gonna enjoy reading. You're not going to please everybody. And I think, okay, plotting and pantsers. Um, people will, will make these outlines that are just very rigid, very detailed, very, you know, intricate. And that's fine if that works for you. However, if you have a character that suddenly decides, no, I'm not going to do that, and you force them into this rigid, predetermined role, you know, you may find yourself up against a roadblock in your story, and you're going, well, how do I fix this? Well, the problem is that you can't fix it because you're trying to force your character to do something that is not realistic. And too many writers don't seem to get that point. Well, I have to plot it. I have to plot. Well, that's fine. You can plot it. But you need to remember that you nobody's going to die except, well, maybe a character. If you vary off of that predetermined course that you create, you can, you can change the outline as you go along to morph it the characters. Because characters sometimes become, well, all the time, actually, for me, become real people. And, you know, the, the running joke that a lot of writers say is, I write with the voices in the head tell me to write. And, you know, characters will take on a life of their own. Um, and blaming, what are we blaming Michael for now? What's poor Michael doing? Is Michael watching the zombie show? 
and the chat room people again. <laughs> I love my chat peeps. Uh, you know, your real characters will do real things. Real characters won't sit there and do these weird things like one book I read. I'm not going to name who what the book was or who the author was. It is a, a best-selling book. It's, you can find it in most romance sections and paperback. Very well-known author. If I said the author's name, you would know exactly who it was. In this book, this character is this big, alpha, tough military guy. And there, of course, you know, the danger is there's some psycho going after his girlfriend. Well, he basically sets the girlfriend up as bait for this killer. And everything else up until this point, this guy's this big alpha protective guy, and yet he's doing this. I'm thinking, you know, that just doesn't ring true to me because no way in hell is this guy going to set his girlfriend up in the way that he did so carelessly and recklessly and just with total blatant disregard for her safety and well-being. It just, it it's not believable. And uh, Olga, I like your characters, even the assholes. I can totally picture them in my head when I read the book, and that's what makes, your, makes a great book for me. Thanks, Olga. I appreciate it. Um, and we're going to get to that, too, about, you know, the good bad guys and the bad good guys. Um, that's, a, that's another point we're going to talk about here. Um, you know, so you have to have characters that do real things, that behave true to life, even if you as the author don't like what they're going to do. In my first book, Love and Brimstone with the Mirror Press, the character of Raphael, and if you haven't read this, this might be a little bit of a spoiler, but Raphael was supposed to be a walk-on, die-off character. That is how I picture him. Walk-on, die-off, boom, gone. He'd be referred to in future books, but walk-on, die-off. Well, that's not how it worked. He's like, no, 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 this is not what happens. This is what happens, and I continue on in the two more books as an actual character, not just a memory. And even though, yeah, he died in, in book one, but he's still around for two books. And I was like, oh, you know, that 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 kind of throws a whole wrench into my plans here, Rafe. And he's like, I don't care. I don't give a shit. This is what I'm doing. This is my character. This is what I'm doing. And actually, when I, I followed him, I quit fighting when I followed what he was going to do as a character. It worked. The story worked. You know, I did catch some flack in Brimstone Blues, the sequel, the second book in the series, because Taz, the uh, heroine in the book, you know, it, 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 she doesn't really have an affair with him. It's, it's a mental thing because he's a ghost living inside her head for right now. But that's how the story worked, and that's what Taz did because Taz was in love with him. And I'm not going to tell you why she's in love with him because there's a whole bunch of reasons, and those definitely would be spoilers for the story. But, you know, that's what she did. That's what happened, and that's a realistic reaction. It's not She's not just going to sit there and ignore it and be this little pure, you know, totally chaste kind of person that does no wrong because she's a real person, in, you know, in, within the context of being a character. Another example of this is Out of the Darkness, uh, which was um, first published with the Lyrical Press. And the heroine in that book, Sammy, it's a love triangle. She's married um, to her husband. And, you know, Steve's an alcoholic. He's, he's, she doesn't know. She thinks he's a recovering alcoholic, and the truth is he's been an active hidden alcoholic for, you know, their whole marriage, and she doesn't realize it. And, um, and again, you know, spoiler alert, so I'm talking about some of this. And then Matt was her former lover and is Steve's, her husband's agent, writing agent. And they end up rekindling their affair in the course of the book as there is this danger coming at them. She's she's tired of, of living with, the, you know, this emotionally disconnected marriage, and she ends up falling back into Matt's arms, which is where she's supposed to be. And I had a couple of people go, well, you know, she she cheated. Well, technically, yeah. In the book, though, she's never had sex with her husband within the confines of, of the world that we see in the book. 
because, you know, when the book takes place, she's basically made the decision that she pretty much the marriage is over for her. And she's just basically a hair's breadth from walking anyway. So, you know, it's real. And I could have easily made the choice where there was like a couple of kisses and they didn't go all the way. But you know what? That's not real for those characters. They were under a lot of emotional duress and that's what they did. And you have to have them do things that, that make sense. Um, where are we? <laughs> the chat room people. Uh, Tower pair. Okay. Having characters doing things that are not in their set of personality traits can be a useful tool. However, they still must remain within the scope people will believe. Exactly. You know, and, and real people are like that too. People will behave under certain circumstances in ways they may not normally behave. You know, a mother whose children are in danger might go batshit crazy and, you know, enraged and, you know, fight back to protect them. You know, when this person might normally be a, you know, mild-mannered person, somebody who's been bullied for a long time might snap. Um, you know, there's you know, people will react in, in unpredictable ways sometimes. So you, you don't necessarily have to have this one cookie cutter approach. People are not static, but the, but the trick is you have to have characters that behave like real people. You know, and real people within, and within the scope of the world that you set up. I mean, it has to be believable. And a lot of times if you take a character and you make them do a, a 90 degree turn, you know, and they do something totally out of character, if you set it up, that can actually be a good point in the story for, you, you can have a catalyst that causes this, that, that puts them on this different path. Um, a very helpful book that I love, and I cannot recommend it enough, and if you go on to the Blog Talk Radio page, my page there, the blogtalkradio.com backslash Dalton, and click on the link for this show, I have a, a Amazon.com link to it. It's The Writer's Journey, Mythic Structure for Writers by Christopher Vogler. He does a lot of work with uh, Joseph Campbell's uh, theory of myth. Um, you know, Joseph Campbell, um, Hero with a Thousand Faces. He talks about the hero's journey, the different archetypes, and he sets it up uh, comparing, you know, some very common movies with the different types of the hero, you know, the different parts of the hero's journey, the different parts these different characters play. And, you know, a lot of writers who aren't necessarily quote-unquote trained, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, I'm just saying this is a statement of fact, who've not taken a writer's course, you know, sometimes they will set up stories and, and they seem to be lacking certain things here and there. And they, because they don't know anything about setting up, you know, different conflicts or, you know, the different types of, I'm not saying you have to follow the, the hero archetype as a, you know, hard, fast path. It's just a helpful guidebook to use. But, you know, it's helpful to learn all these kind of things as a writer. This is part of your skill and your trade, and you're building up your um, abilities to, you know, put together a story that's going to hold together. And it might seem boring to some people to go, well, I just want to write a book. Well, that's fine. But, you know, it's like a mechanic to tune up a car needs to learn to run, but it might not run well. You know, like crap. You know, so you want you want your book to be the best that it can be. Um, you know, do a lot of people watching. You know, go to a mall. Maybe not this time of year, but <laughs> go to a mall, go to a park, and sit there and watch people. And just and just you know, don't get arrested for looking like you know somebody creepy. But <laughs> sit there and watch people and try to put stories. And if you can look at somebody and 
I like to do this sometimes. If you're standing, even if you're standing in line, and God knows we're going to do enough of that this Christmas season, you know, stand in line and look at somebody, and if you can put together this story within five seconds, you know, that person just got home from vacation, you know, and they're, you know, they found out their wife is, you know, having an affair, and da da da. If you can immediately construct this little mini vignette story in your mind about that person, then that's a good first step right there. If you can let your mind loose with somebody, you know, just a perfect stranger and you look at them. Airports, if you have to go fly anywhere, if you're if you're on a plane, if you're, you know, in, in a train or taking a bus to work or whatever, sit there and play the people watching game and construct these little stories about people that you see. You know, and that, that's a really good exercise that a lot of people I don't think understand. It, as a writer, you have to, the, the brain is a muscle. I mean, yeah, I know technically, okay, it's not a, a muscle muscle. It's a virtual muscle. And like anything else, if you don't stretch it, if you don't use it, it's going to atrophy and it's not going to work right. Um, let's see, what are we talking about? She's breaking I'm not, She's getting choppy. Are you coming in? Oh, my, let's see. Are you guys, can you guys hear me? Let's see. Can you guys in the chat room hear me or are you talking about trying to get me to crack up laughing here? Let's see. Can you hear me? You hear me. Sorry. Let's see. Okay. Making sure we don't have any... Uh, okay. Michael can hear me. Okay. Good. I just want to make sure I wasn't breaking up too much. Um, hold on just a second. All in the screen room. Um, okay. There we go. I have a caller, and I was telling my husband he needs to screen my call. <laughs> live radio? This is great. We have live radio here, folks. You're hearing it. Um, okay, sorry about that. I didn't know that you guys couldn't hear me there. Um, oops, we lost our caller. Whoever just called, please call back. Apparently, we accidentally hung you up. Sorry. Let's see. Um, okay. Can you guys hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Oh, that was Jillian. Okay. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Sounds like a really bad uh, advertisement here. Okay. Let's see here. Um, all right. Now that you guys can hear me again. <laughs> um, okay. So some places will tell you that you should do these really detailed character sheets. You know, list everything about the character. And I'm going to tell you that that's not really necessary. Now, you do need to have basics. And what I personally do is I personally will write down physical characteristics because like I read in one book where within the space of the book, the character, the main character's eyes went from like blue to green and back to blue again. And they weren't supposed to. That was an oopsie that the editor in the book missed and the author missed it. So I will write down physical characteristics, especially if I'm dealing with menages where I've got multiple men and so I know who's who. I will write down um Basic things like ages, uh, any key points, I'm, especially if it's a series that I'll need to know for future issues like, you know, family members names. Like my Love Slave for Two series is a good example. I will, I've got the sisters' names written down and as I, you know, as the sisters pop in and out of the stories, I jot things down so that I can keep it consistent. Um, cause Olga made another good point that, you know, between, you know, books and stuff, sometimes characters aren't consistent or things are different and everything. I think that was Olga who made that point. Sorry if it wasn't Olga and it was somebody else and I'm, mistaking who that was um but you want things to be consistent but you don't necessarily need every little detail likewise there's sometimes and i'm guilty of this too 
I did this early on. I know, I mean, I've had, God knows I'm, you know, a jack of all trades. I've done, I am a certified mechanic. I taught scuba diving. I've done, you know, I worked in an animal shelter. I've done a lot of things in my life. I raised a disabled child. So I've got a lot of different life experiences in a lot of different um, areas. You know, a lot of practical skills. And I was writing this one book, and one of the characters was a dive master. And I had all these different, you know, details about the dive. And I'm like, as I went back and looked at the scene I had written a couple of years later, I'm like, ah, God, why the hell did I put all that in there? Because the reader would have been going, you know, snoring by the time that, uh, that it, you know, they were uh, reading. Let's see. Breaking up again. Okay. <laughs> Am I breaking up again? Okay, I don't know why it's breaking up, but how about if I put the microphone right next to my face? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Let's see. Um, I don't know. Maybe something with the uh, network tonight. It may be something with the Blog Talk Radio Network going on. Um, but anyway, you know, you don't want too much detail in a book because you need just enough that you get the point to the reader, but not so much that you're trying to basically come off with going, oh, look what I know. Look what I know. This is what I know as the author. And so you you don't need too much detail. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to go through my list here. You know, good guys, bad guys. You know, we've got uh, bad guys can be cardboard cutouts. And I see this too often. You've got these villains. They're like uber villains. They're just bad, bad to the bone. You hate them. You did whatever. Well, they were born. And of course, it's a paranormal and they were like hatched or something. They're still people. Nobody is 100% pure evil or 100% pure good. You've got good guys who have bad traits. A Love Slave for Two series in book two, which is technically book three, um, Tommy was in an accident, had a traumatic brain injury, and he kisses his physical therapist. He gets a lot of anger. And, and and some people said, oh, my God, I was so upset when Tommy did that. Well, that was, you know, realistic. For somebody with a traumatic brain injury going through a healing process, it's not uncommon for them to have anger and to not know how to deal with their family when they're when they're trying to recover, there, there can be guilt issues because they're not there for their family if they're normally the you know one that the family depends on. It's a lot of different things that can be going on, and so his reaction was actually pretty realistic. And uh, are we picking on Michael again in the chat room? Oh boy, <laughs> poor Michael. Um, yeah, so th- that was another example of, of realistic. Characterization, which you know, I'm, I know some readers were you know a little upset or unnerved by that. But it was realistic, and to have Tommy do anything else, it would have been forcing his character to go in a different direction than he was actually going. Because the characters do tend to take over, um, you know. In in like I've got uh, in my Goodwill Ghost Hunting series, I have Ryan Osser, who is technically the devil, head of the underworld. And when I first started developing the story, I figured he was going to be the main antagonist. Not necessarily a bad guy, but just, you know, definitely the antagonist, not really a good guy. Well, it turns out he actually is a good guy, but he has to come off as an asshole, because that's his character. And, you know, so he's got this little soft spot for Cal, the heroine, for various reasons. And he shows her that side, but not many other people get to see that side of him. Here, and in the, in the beginning, Will, the hero, 
was basically kind of an asshole to a lot of people, you know, about uh, Cal. And uh, so it was, you know, one of those things that you gotta you gotta work on it. You know, the characters have. You know, they have their own life. Are we staticky again? Are we staticky again? Are we staticky again? Don't hang up on me, MP. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure why it's being staticky tonight. Let's see. Can you hear me? Is that better? Is that better? I don't know why it's staticky. It must be something to do with blog talk rating. I'm sorry, guys. Let's see. Okay. How's that? Is that better? Is my husband hanging up on <laughs> Did my hubby hang up on my car? Hang up on you. Sorry. Sorry, folks. I'm getting talking here with the with the uh, chat room people. We're trying to figure out our uh, figure out our uh, problems here. <laughs> Try to stand on one foot and then call it. Yeah, I don't know why it's acting weird tonight, guys. So bear with me. Just keep telling me if it acts static. You just let me know. Um, I'll try to talk up here. And you know, you can uh, you can base characters on real people because we all know we all know bubbly, giggly people. We all know assholes. We all know you know the stoic, heroic type. You don't want to use you know necessarily a whole real person that's easily recognizable, but you can use traits from people that you know. And I've done that in books before too. And now I'm not gonna say who or what or you know, I've you know, used traits for good guys and traits for bad guys. Um and in a running joke now, some of my friends go, Oh, is this gonna end up in a book? Can I end up in a book? You know, and they, they actually wanna end up in a book. And I actually do have a friend of mine that kinda made a cameo appearance in Cardinal's role, um, a very brief one. And it wasn't intentional because I wasn't even thinking about when I did it, but I mean it was one of those it was one of those accidental things like my guy I was like, Oh yeah, that's you know, so and so and I told him he's like, Oh, cool, thank you. So fortunately he uh he liked that. Um but you know <laughs> You have to make sure – oh, phone lines are messed up on the West Coast and the weather, so blame the problem on that. Cool. Okay. We'll blame it on, on the phone lines that way. Um, you, know, you have to have realistic characters by building realistic traits. You can't just slap together this perfect uber alpha hero and have people believe him because every hero has a chink in his armor. He's got his Achilles heel. Either he's got anger issues. Um, okay, good example, Safe Harbor. You've got two heroes who are, yeah, okay, Mac is Sully's slave, his submissive. But Mac himself is a, is a just because he's submissive doesn't mean he's a wuss. He's definitely not a wuss. Um, you know, so you've got the submissive man who is still pretty alpha, but he's got his own thing. He was in the war, and he's got some issues from that. Understandable, realistic, and not you know too debilitating or stuff. But you know he would die for Clarice. And you've got Sully, who is you know the strong facade. He survived being shot as a cop. You know he's you know survived. He recovered from that. Went through some emotional stuff. You know Mac was his support system as he recovered from that. And eventually Mac became his slave. And yet he's got this weak spot for Clarice also and for Mac, but he can't bring himself to, you know, give Mac a blowjob. That's just him. During the course of their relationship, do a lot of other things with him, you know. He just 
never did that until you know Clarice joined him, and he finally realized, okay, you know, there's there's more things important than my little hang up in this one area, and he you know gets over it. That's realistic. That's not you know this Uber guy that has no flaws because you don't want that because those are boring. Cardboard characters are absolutely boring. And speaking of safe harbor, we also have, you know, Bart the Dom Dog, <laughs> the little Yorkie, who's actually based on a real Yorkie in the store that I go to, this pet store. The owner has a couple of little tiny Yorkies who are absolutely adorable, and that's who I based him on. And, you know, he – and I've got dogs. I've got four dogs. Up to, you know, recently we had six dogs. So I always joke that I've got an ongoing anthropology experiment at any given time in my living room. And – you know, so so dogs do things. They cart things off. You know, they cart things that necessarily don't want carted off. You know, and then of course in Safe Harbor, you know that dog decides he's going to abscond with a butt plug, and that becomes his chew toy. And my dogs have not absconded with butt plugs, but I had one lab who I still have, and he liked to chew on uh, he liked to chew on diapers, dirty diapers, and it wouldn't be uncommon for us to have you know crumbly poops in our yard when he he take a take a poop. So dogs will steal things that you don't necessarily want them stealing. So that was kind of realistic, you know. He was a little thief, he, you know. Um, I have, uh, and out of the darkness, we have uh, Pog in there. He's a lab, and that was kind of based on another dog that I knew. Yeah, and and yeah, I got a little lassie-ish in, in that one, a little Rin Tin Tinny there. But uh, you know, it, it's still. You know, the dog kind of, that's kind of a common thing. If you say, oh, dogs are going to go help. Well, you know, so I, I use that as a plot device, yeah, but I made sure it was realistic within the context of the story. Um, you know, I, it, I don't like killing off animals, so I try, to, I try to avoid that at all costs. So, so far I've never had to, to do that in a book, thank goodness. But, um, yeah, I know there are people who do that. Stephen King's notorious for killing off animals in books, and I just, I, I haven't, done that yet and I would probably just cry myself to sleep if I have to write that um, speaking of crying of course uh, Reluctant Dom I get a lot of comments about Reluctant Dom Reluctant Dom is told from Seth's point of view and Seth is one it's a menage those of you who haven't read it it's BDSM menage and Seth is one of the heroes uh, the short version is Seth's best friend Caden is dying and Caden is his wife's husband you know, and master Leah uh, needs BDSM in their life for stability. It's a coping mechanism for her to deal with a lot of things in their life, and it works. And in real life, this is fairly true to life for some people. So Caden's dying. Caden has pancreatic cancer, and he enlists his friend, Seth, to learn this part of lifestyle, which Seth never knew they were involved in. And so Seth is not only trying to deal with losing his best friend who is closer to him than a brother, but he's also trying to learn how to deal with, with all this other stuff he has to learn to help Leah, which it's kind of at first it's, you know, horrifying to him that he actually has to beat Leah to help her, and she enjoys it. She wants him to do it. And, of course, he comes to realize that he's been in love with her for years, and she's been in love with him. So, it, you know, in, in one way that's happy. Of course, Caden's dying. And I tell the story from Seth's point of view, except for the very last chapter, which is told first person from a different character's point of view. Because The Reluctant Dom was written um, after my grandmother's death, about six months after my grandmother's death, and I've told the story a lot. Our first, um, 
our first holiday season without her, and it was almost a year from when she had had her first heart attack, and she died six months later. That was Seth. We knew that she was going to die because she refused a triple bypass. She's like, I've had a good life. I'm 83 years old. I'm not having a triple bypass. And the doctors told us it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. The next one will kill her. So if you translate pancreatic cancer for heart attack, that's basically what that time period was, was waiting. And so as Seth is, you know, in a lot of Seth's emotions as far as dealing with Caden dying were emotions that I had. And that's why I, that was a, a huge grieving book for me to write. It was very cathartic for me to write. And I really needed that because I'm the kind of person I tend to shut down and, and postpone dealing with emotions until I can handle dealing with them better. And this was a, a very hard book for me to write, but it was a very healing book for me to write. So, <laughs> Michael, that book was the reason I couldn't get laid for four weeks. Sorry, Michael. Uh <laughs> Sorry, Michael. But uh, yeah, because I think that was more because of the baby, wasn't it? Than uh, than uh, anything. Maybe that was just the maybe that was just the excuse that your wife used, Michael. Um, you know, and you have to sometimes as a writer, you got to dig deep and you got to look for those painful emotions. And acquainted with the night is another one uh, that came out a couple of months ago through Siren. And I'm dealing with these humans that have been taking, taken as uh, aliens pets and used as breeder pets, these men. And not to give you a spoiler, but of course at the very end of the book, you know, it's a natural progression of their life together, decades with these alien owners that love them very much and they love their alien owners. And of course, you know, as all pets do, eventually we lose them. And in the process, you know, I lost our first dog, Holly, uh, in on April 1st during cancer surgery and we had fought from well it's been about a year now and you know late late November early December with cancer surgery with her and she died on the operating table during cancer surgery and that was really hard because we weren't expecting her not to survive that surgery we were expecting to have more time with her than that and then six weeks later we had to put down our old golden retriever Tessa and so acquainted with the night was another healing book for me to write I had to deal with those emotions. I had to process them as part of this. And yeah, I I cried. And I I honestly believe as a writer, if it doesn't make me laugh or cry, if I mean, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying I'm trying to to force those reactions out of you as a reader, because I'm not. I'm writing the story. I'm following the characters. But if it's an intrinsically sad scene and I don't react to it as the writer, then there's something not right about the scene. And I have to go back and look at what what emotional note am I not connecting with in the story? If it's supposed to be funny, I mean, yeah, not everybody's going to find something funny. Not everybody's going to react the same way. But for me to be satisfied with a book, if I'm not reacting, then how do I expect my readers to react? So... It's one of those things you can't be afraid as a writer to dig deep and to try to, you know, find these raw emotions that you normally don't necessarily want to tap into because it's not fun dealing with grief and anger and, you know, some of these, you know, infidelity, you know, the pain of like in Out of the Darkness, you know, the the, the pain of this, you know, emotional you know, turmoil that she went through, both dealing with her husband, which she wasn't sure, is, was he sick? Was he possessed? And then she was 
angry at him because she thought he was drinking again. And then now she's got her, you know, old boyfriend that she realized, well, I've always been in love with him. And I basically was, you know, why did I get married? I, I had some sort of stupid, you know, arbitrary timeline. And, and, uh, you know, so it's one of those things you got to dig deep as a writer. You can't just have these little perfect little characters that do these perfect little things and these little cardboard actions because, and I keep saying the word cardboard because that's what it is. It, they feel two dimensional. Um, you know, it's like, you know, people, it's basic psychology and and it doesn't hurt to get like the, you know, the, the dummy's guide to psychology and, you know, th- those kind of books can give you some good insight. You pick up psychology magazines where they have these articles about people and things that we do. You know, people are petty. People are jealous. People, you know, even good people, the best people in the world can get jealous and can say mean things in the heat of anger. You know, the best, how many parents have lashed out because you're tired? You're, you're hungry, you got yelled at at work, customers were assholes, and then your kid comes running up to you, I've got to have 36 cupcakes in class tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock because I promised the teacher three weeks ago, and you just blow. Don't tell me you haven't done it or something. I mean, I, you know, I don't think there's a single parent. The best parent in the world has not at one time or another just snapped and said something that they regretted saying to their kids. Doesn't make you a bad parent. Doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you human. And your characters have to be human. They have to do things. And I'm not saying you have to force them to do these things. They don't just deliberately write them doing these things because you think that's what they should have to do. Um, you know, because because that's not it either. You have to follow the characters. Um, going back to to like the Goodwill Ghost Hunting series, Ryan Osser. You know, he is. A, the typical tragic hero, he starts out, you think he's this asshole, and you start to realize, no, he's not an asshole. He's, he's self-sacrificing. You know, he's, he's a martyr in many ways. He has to be, and you feel sorry for him, and you really want him to have his own, you know, his own happy ending. Um, and it's and it's very hard sometimes to, to you know, find those emotional notes. You just, you have to dig deep, though. Uh looking at my notes here trying to I'm trying to multitask um think about memorable characters in books that you've read characters that really hit a note with you what set them apart from ho-hum books as a writer books that you despised what did you not like about those characters and I'm not necessarily saying the writing or the plot or whatever but, but about the characters themselves what about those didn't you like and and think about those kind of things because those are what you want to keep in mind as you're writing your own and, and definitely you want to pick up Joseph Campbell's book also the the hero with a thousand faces and I also have that linked on the uh, blog talk radio website page for for tonight's show uh, pick that book up you make yourself I'm not saying you have to memorize Joseph Campbell's work but if you have a familiarity with it and you can start seeing these patterns and other other you know, works in and, and there's an argument out there where people say, Well that's very formulaic. If I do the hero's journey, that that's just predictable. No. Not necessarily. Because you don't necessarily know what choice the hero is going to make. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, the, the hero could do A or B. You know, in a perfect world you would want them to do A, but what happens if they do B and they take these, you know, oddball little turns until they finally get back onto the right path. So you don't necessarily have to have a predictable story, but you know that your hero is going to start at point A and end at point Z. That's your story. 
what he does along the way and how he does it. That's what sets her story apart from other stories. Excuse me. Um, you, know, you just you have to write from the heart, and you can't pigeonhole your characters into these little things because that's the way you have to have that character to do. If the character starts saying, no, I'm going to do this, listen to him. Just listen to him quick. Everyone call, oh, what are you? Everyone call me. You guys are trying to crack me up now, aren't you? Um, you're listening to Oral Ingus with Timber Dalton on Blog Talk Radio. Intelligent but dirty. Uh, it's uh, blogtalkradio.com backslash Timber Dalton. That's T-Y-M-B-E-R Dalton. You can email me at timberdalton at gmail.com. And, of course, you can call in at 310-861-2348 if you'd like to talk. Yes, my refrigerator is running, and no, I don't have Prince Albert in a can. Uh, everybody that's, that's thinking about doing that and pranking me. We're going to have a little side note here. I'm going to have some guests coming in. We had Chris Cook. If you haven't uh, listened to the show, we had Chris Cook on uh, November 18th. You can go pull that, download it. Um, either through the iTunes or the direct download link. You can download that and listen to it at your leisure. That was a great chat. Chris Cook was a wonderful guest, and I hope to have him back here fairly soon. This Thursday, December 9th, I've got author Sophie Oak coming in. That should be a great one. She's a fellow Siren Bookstrand author. On December Thursday, December 16th, I've got fellow Siren Bookstrand author Lorelei Confer coming to talk about her book. And on Sunday, December 19th, we have author India Wilson coming in to talk. I just set her up today, so I need to get some more information on her to put out there for y'all. Uh, she's got a book out. We're going to talk to her. Um, at some point in time, I've got uh, EIC of Captiva Press and also professional psychic Stephanie McGrath is going to be joining us. Not tonight, but in a future show. I'm getting her lined up. Uh, she wasn't feeling real good tonight. So let's see. Did someone say dirty? Yes, old guy said dirty. It's, that's our show's tagline, intelligent but dirty. Um, and those of you who listened to the BDSM show and got to hear Mr. B talking to me, he was the one actually that helped me come up with that tagline so y'all could thank him. And that was a fun show, too. So if you haven't listened to those, you can go back anytime. Usually within an hour after the show has ended, uh, you can pull the feed and download it to your uh, listening device of choice, computer, iPod, what have you. And we're, I'm not here every Thursday and Sunday night, but I'm here a lot of them, <laughs> if, you, if you choose to listen. Or like I said, you can always come back in later. But we have a lot of fun in the uh, chat room. What do we got here? Olga, M and I, okay, Olga, Michael, and I should be guests. Julie's saying, yeah, you guys can be guests. We can we can do a roundtable. I definitely want to do a roundtable chat. Um, love to have you guys on as guests. Uh, we're running out of time, though. We've only got 17 minutes left, so uh, maybe we can do that the next time and get you guys in on a roundtable. We can have a bunch of interesting conversations going I beg your pardon, I am not normal, Olga says. Well, you know, <laughs> normal is a setting on a washing machine, so I would say I'm definitely not normal. You cannot be a writer and be, uh, quote-unquote, normal. That's not possible. You know, that's just part of the uh, job description. We we actually live inside people's heads. And that's another thing, too. As a writer, getting back on topic here for a moment before we run out of time, as a writer, you can't be afraid to play inside other people's heads. And what I mean by that is, you know, people who don't know the business of writing, they, they think you're crazy when you talk about that. But you have – and it's great if you have an experience in drama. 
being in plays and stuff. It's like being in a play only at your keyboard. Nobody's watching you. Um, you know, you, you get inside somebody's head, you get inside this character's head. And it's not uncommon for me to be standing in the shower or the magic rain room, as we joke about it here in my house. I get a lot of my good ideas in the shower because I spend a lot of time in the shower because I have fibro and hot showers kind of help with my muscle pain and stuff. So I'll take a really long shower until all the hot water goes up. But I'll be sitting there, you know, just standing there leaning against the wall, you know, eyes closed. And I'll get these ideas in the shower. I think great in the shower. And but I'll sit there and I'll start talking lines, you know, I'll, I'll run dialogue out loud, especially if I'm usually I'm home alone, so nobody can listen to me do this. But I'll have conversations with my characters, you know, or the, the characters themselves will, will have conversations. And don't be afraid to do that. You know, you, you, if you feel a little self-conscious about it, get one of those little Bluetooth uh, thingies and put it on there and just, you know, hold your cell phone and pretend you're talking on your cell phone to somebody. Um, oh, yeah, Jillian. Yeah, that I heard about that right before we went on air. Yeah, actor, um, unfortunately, actor Leslie Nielsen has died. Um, he was like 83 or 84. So, yeah, that was uh, that was put on. I saw that on CNN before I logged on here. He died. Actually, I guess he was down here in Florida in a hospital. Complications of pneumonia, I believe it was. So that's pretty sad because he was a, you know, he was a really good actor. You know, don't call me Shirley. Uh, that was one of the greatest movies ever. So he's going to be sorely missed. And, uh, and, and there's, you know, there's a good example not to, to you know, scavenge that news article uh but he, you know, look at him I mean, he played a lot of similar characters in his careers you know leslie nelson did but they're they're all little had little differences in them here and there so you it's really you look at these characters and you can't just say okay well you're going to do this 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 and this is that the character doing it or is it you telling the character what to do you know you might not like what a character does God knows I've had fights with characters. And some of the worst writer's blocks I've ever had, except for one that I'm currently dealing with that was my fault because it's a plotting issue, but most of the writer's blocks I've had is because a character wanted to do something. I'm sitting there going, no, you're not doing that. And the character's like, yeah, that's what I need to do. And until I finally said, all right, fine, you know, and let the character do its, his, his or her thing, you know, I was blocked. Oh, excuse me. And a lot, of, a lot of people don't understand that as writers. You know, it's not this. I mean, I don't. Know, I think. I think sometimes people say we sit there and we, you know, we poop stories out of our butts, and you know, in some ways, yeah, we do. But there's, you know, it, it's not like these stories just magically flow unworked. You can't just force it to happen. You have to. You have to play with the world that you've been given. You've given this this ball of clay to form, and. I'm not trying to get all, you know, waxing melodic here or anything. But you, you, I think people take characters for granted sometimes. They'll do these detailed character sheets, and, well, that's fine. But how's he going to react when his dog died? Well, he's going to be upset. Well, why is he going to be upset? Well, because his dog died. Well, when was the first time he ever saw this dog? Well, I don't know. Well, isn't that something the character might think about? You know, or the character might have this memory. So, so it doesn't matter, you know, you know, something, you know, fifth grade teacher, that, you know, if he has a college degree or not, that doesn't matter. You know, you, the things that matter are the things that you need to know about your character. There's a lot of things we don't need to know about the character, and they can come out later on if it's a multi-book series. They can come out later on. They don't have to come out now. You don't need to know them now. So don't waste time on things that don't matter. You know, focus on the things that you need to know about your character. Uh, my daughter, she's always in her own world and not in ours, so she has a great imagination. That's 
Yeah, you have to. Yeah, Rada said that in the chat room. You you have to have a good imagination as a writer. You really do. Um, you know, and I will essentially if I I do a lot of driving, and when I have to drive, I mean, I I work books out in my head, and I'll run them back and forth like a movie. And I'll if something doesn't feel right, if I got a character doing something that just doesn't you know strike me as right, I'll say, well, what would that character do? And let it go from there. Let's see. Timber, has anyone read any of your books and said, hey, this is me? Olga's asking me that in the chat room. I've had people doing that. The funny thing is the people who usually ask me, is this me? No, it's not usually them. <laughs> um, I actually do. When I do use somebody in a book um, in a good way, I, I, I tell them. Uh, I've never actually taken somebody full on, you know, in a bad you know, I mean, I might take a little aspect here, there, a little snippet that somebody said, you know, for something, you know, quote unquote, for a bad guy. But, um, you know, I pay homage to a good friend of mine, um, the character Tony in Reluctant Dom and Dom by Default, and he gets his, he'll get his own book when I finally get, you know, the Denim Dom finished. Um, that's actually based on a real friend of mine. I say based. I mean, he's, he's inspired. I, he's Tuckerized. And you can Wikipedia that term, Tuckerized. Um, I used him because he vetted the manuscripts for me, and he's a fellow writer. And I actually, and I told him that I was doing it, and he was, you know, you know, obviously chuffed that I did that because it was, you know, flattering um, that I even plus he was going to get his own story, and I, you know, took about twenty years off of his age, and you know, he's going to end up with a girl eventually, so I'm sure he appreciates that. Um, but you know, so I've used people like that, and uh, you know, I've got some characters that I kind of loosely will base them on somebody, you know, maybe one aspect of something like something that they do like a uh, Sully. There's a friend of ours um, that there's a couple of things that Sully does, you know, not Sully's whole character, which is a couple of activities that he does that I actually based on a, another friend of ours. I told him about that. I said, yeah, you know, it's, that's kind of neat. Like, Oh, cool. Thanks. You know, cause you know, obviously it was something positive. So yeah, you know, do things like that. And of course, you know, there's sometimes you'll you put a little wishful thinking into things. Um, and then okay, well, there's one funny thing. Like I use my husband in uh, for Brody's character. Uh, Brody has the in the Triple Trouble series through Siren. Um, Brody has this thing about the cereal. He picks the Cheerios the one day. That's my husband's thing. My husband every morning, he's got this little routine with his cereal. He has one cereal one day, has another cereal another day, another another cereal the other day. And if, if something's out of whack, it kind of will, kind of puts a little crimp in his morning routine as he sits there and tries to figure out, okay, well, okay, I can't have that cereal this morning, so what do I do? And that, yeah, I, I gave Brody that little trait. Uh, so that was that was based on on real life. Um, Okay, like I mentioned this during the BDSM episode. In Safe Harbor, there's a scene where uh, Mac is talking to Clarice about canes. And he bounces a cane off of her shoulder and showing how it could feel like a massage. Well, when I was talking to Adam about, you know, canes and stuff like that, that was actually something he did. So let me show you. And he bounced on He's like, okay, yeah, that, does, that feels pretty good. Actually, it feels like, you know, getting a massage. I mean, he was just bouncing it off my shoulder. It didn't hurt. So there's things like that that you – you know, you take away as a writer, you can, you can slip little things in there. Um, that was, you know, that was something that really happened. Um, we'll see in a dangle, him using cops, cuffs from the ceiling. Who are we dangling? Are we dangling Michael? <laughs> you can't use cuffs. Okay, back to the BDSM. You cannot use cuffs for suspension. Okay, handcuffs cannot be used for suspension. I thought we talked about that in the BDSM episode. We need to do a BDSM equipment episode is what we need to do. Um, 
Michael, I have had a character based on me. Truth be told, you have, huh? <laughs> Jillian Tumbuck says we see tattooing soon in a book. Actually, actually, the funny thing is, I'm actually I've got an idea for a character with fibromyalgia. Believe it or not. Oh, okay. Well, there, here's a good example right here: Cross Country Chaos. I actually did base Cross Country Chaos on a real life trip. That one's writing is Leslie Richardson that I took with my son back in 2007. I drove my Honda Element towing a U-Haul trailer from Florida to Spokane and back to my son's uh, nationals. Only it wasn't um, it wasn't my mother that I was going with, and I didn't have the similar situation. I mean, I was happily married. Um, so I didn't have the similar situation that the heroine in that book had, and I went with um, it was my me and my son and my son's teammate and the teammate's grandmother. Um, but there were some things in that book that actually really did happen on the trip. Uh, there was like the talk about that they had to divert through you know Oregon because of a rock slide because they were going to go to Rainier. Well, that happened. You know, there's places that we went. Like when we went to the arch, we had to park out in the middle of nowhere and hike to the arch. It was you know, blisteringly hot. Everywhere we went, it was hotter than Florida. It was like, oh, Florida's always hot. Now, everywhere we went that summer was hotter than Florida, it seems like. Um, we had to stop at uh, Cooter's Place on the way back because I promised the boys to stop at, you know, the Dukes of Hazard, you know, Cooter's Place in um, Nashville. So we stopped there. <laughs> yeah, little things like that, that that happened all through, you know, throughout the, the story that I actually based my book on. So that was, there's a lot, if you want to follow what my trip was, basically that was yeah, that was that whole trip, you know, the, the load and unload. The, only that was me saying load and unload during that trip, and not the, the mother's character. And the guy was always going, load and unload, load and unload, load and unload, because that's all we did the whole trip, load and unload, load and unload. So things like that, you know, I, I could pull from my real life. So that's something, you know, that happened. Um, let's see. Heck no, I want to use the wrong cuss. <laughs> Jillian. Okay, Jillian, you are a sadist, honey. I got news for you. You're not a switcher, a sadist. Um <laughs> Michael, haha, I should be flattered that I have so many women wanting to cuff me. I don't know. Yeah, some of these women, uh, Michael, I don't know if you want them to cuff you or not because it might do bad things to you when you're cuffed. Uh, we're going to have to do another BDSM episode. That was fun. You know, we need to get Mr. B back on here to do a good talk. Um, he's straight off, off of characters here. Uh, characters, put it back on topic, a little segue before we run out of time. We're down to about seven minutes. Um, you know, the BDSM stuff that I write. I, I mean, there's... You can take some literary license with some things, but I mean, I've done my research into the lifestyle, some of it more deeply than others. Um, but I write from things that I've experienced. I have, you know, if I talk about throwing a bullwhip, I've done it. I mean, yeah, there's some things that obviously is literary license, like, no, I've not had a menage. No, not happened. Uh, I mean, that kind of stuff is obviously made up. But like the the actual tools of the trade, the implements. Like I I've, I've never actually used a humbler on a man, but I saw one used. Okay, there's another good example in Safe Harbor. There actually is I kind of loosely based, you know, the woman that's kind of the really sadistic woman that, you know, Max says, "Yeah, she makes Sully look like Santa Claus or whatever the line was that she's really sadistic." I mean, I that's kind of loosely based on a woman that I've met before. I don't know her real well. I mean, I've I've met her a couple of times, but I saw her use a humbler on a guy once and I was like, part of me was going, "Holy crap." And part of me was going, "Wow, that'd be a great character." <laughs> and when you can look at somebody and go, "Wow, I can use that in a book." Then you know that it's good. Yeah, you really know that that's good. Um I've got another book that is right now it's in progress and uh one of the characters he's actually the brother of the heroine it's Minaj she has uh, MS. Uh 
and is dealing with that. So, you know, and I'm I'm working on one now. I've got an idea for one where the the heroin has fibro. You know, because I tend to use things that I've dealt with in real life. You know, well, I know, goodness, I know what it's like having a chronic illness now firsthand. Um, you know, I know what it's like raising a child in a wheelchair because I've been there, done that. You know, and and uh, so it's like you have to do things. And, and if you're going to write about something, oh, for God's sake! And one, of, and I will say, one of Christine Feehan's books kind of irritating about this. She had a character who was a wheelchair athlete. He was a I think it was one of the Ghost Walker series where the character was in a wheelchair and he was this athlete and she basically had him using a power chair. And I'm like, no. And what she described as his racing chair is actually what a regular chair is. She didn't do research to see that a racing chair basically is like a three-wheel Grand Prix bicycle. Nowadays, they're very, very high-tech things. And she obviously did not do any research into racing wheelchairs when she wrote her book. And that kind of really irritated that. That was a wall-banger book for me right there. Um, do your research. Nowadays, you can Google. You can do Wikipedia. If there's something you don't know about, find somebody who does. For God's sake, don't just make shit up out of your ass. Stephen King. Stephen King, I think it was an insomnia. He had a car throw a tie rod in the engine. Okay, no. It's a connecting rod. It's not a tie rod. A tie rod is a suspension piece. And it's like, you know, Stephen King. Okay, Research, research. You don't have a mechanic, Steve. You know, please, seriously. You know, so little things like that. Well, it, because you're going to have a reader. Not every reader will catch up. But you're going to have a reader go, yeah, that's not right. And you're going to pull your reader out of reader space. So you've got to make sure that if you don't know a specific kind of gun, you don't have to get too – if you get too detailed and you don't know what you're talking about or you give something up, you're going to – I guarantee you're going to get fan mail from people who know what you're talking about and they go, you got it wrong. And you're going to piss them off. So sometimes it's better to not be so detailed. You know, go a little less detailed. Um, so you've got to make sure that you don't cross that line. Uh, we are down to two minutes. And that hour went fast. So, wow. Okay. Uh, you have been listening to Oralingus with Timber Dalton on Blog Talk Radio. You can find me on the web at TimberDalton.com. That's T-Y-M-B-E-R.com, TimberDalton.com. You can email me at TimberDalton at gmail.com. You can, if you're a writer and you'd like to be interviewed for the show, drop me an email. Be glad to have you on. Um, or if you're, you know, cover artist, publisher, if you, you know, Got a you know a nonprofit or something you want to promote? Uh, you know, I'd be happy to do that. Um, oh, we're talking about gagging Michael again. Remember, <laughs> if you're missing this live, we have a chat room that pops up. So you know, you don't want to miss the fun. We have a lot. We have a blast in the chat room. If you can't listen live, you can download it after it's uh, you know finalized on the website. Like I said, sometimes it takes about an hour for you to do that. You can call in every week. The phone number is 310-861-2348, and I'd be happy to talk to you. Um, yeah, so I'm going to go ahead. and Our next show is, uh, what is today? Sunday. Our next show is going to be Thursday, uh, the 2nd. I don't know who our guest is yet. <laughs> We're going to work on that one there. I don't have a guest schedule, but we'll be talking about something. So this, you've been listening to the voice in my ear here is telling me that the show's almost over. So this, once again, has been blogtalkradio.com or backslash Timber Dalton, oral linguist with Timber Dalton. Intelligent, but dirty.
So I'll see you kitties all next time. Um, give me a shout out through email or uh, my website. Hit me up, um, timberdalton.com. And like I said, feel free to email me if you have any questions. This hour went really, really fast. And I'm sorry if anybody had uh, technical problems hearing. Um, but you know what? It, I, I, that's the blog talk radio thing. And I'm really sorry. I'll try to figure it out for next time. And it's telling me it's counting down on my ears. So I got to go. So I will see you guys later. Thanks a lot. Um, have a good one.